0: It's it's, uh, it's an exciting season, and we're, we're trying to get into the four spirits, and it's, you know, we've got to put a lot of stuff uh, to the side this season and focus on the baby in the manger and focus on what God has done in our life and how he made us free. Advent, and we've studied the term Adventist from the Latin word Adventist, which means to arrive, and it refers to the arrival of a king, and the week of Advent starts four Sundays before the Nativity, and We've been in Advent now for three weeks. And its idea is, is for us to focus on exactly what was accomplished. You know what I think we forget? I think we get so caught up in stuff in the world and just trying to get through, be an influence, be a good Christian, do the stuff, all that. We forget how different this world is. And 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 you know, anywhere Christ's influence is waning, you see what, you see what the world would really have been like without the birth, without the nativity, without him coming, without salvation, without the release of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And and you know, it was a time of great, it was a time to celebrate and we need to celebrate because God is still here. He's still doing a work. He still has a plan. And for the fruits of the Holy Spirit are hope, peace, joy, and love. And where each week we devote each week to study of one. And the, the calendar, the colors are are important. The the purple is the sign of royalty, and then the hope and peace are purple, and then joy, the the color for joy is pink. And so uh, we lit the the joy candle this week, and we want to talk about that aspect of joy that Christ brings in in our life. And I would remind you, and especially if you have been following the news this morning about the devastation of our brethren. You know, the Lord spoke to me. He said, those are your brethren. This is not New York City. This is this is Kansas, this is, this, is, this is Arkansas, this is Kentucky, Bowling Green, Kentucky. I know a lot of people from there, I used to buy a lot of cattle from there years ago. And the Lord said, they're, they're your brethren, and they're devastated. And, 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 and I want to remind you that the Christian idea is this, is not that we live uh, in a perfect world and that we are somehow immune from the storms of life. As a matter of fact, if you read the scripture close, you know that we are absolutely not immune from the storms, that storms are coming. But there's a divine spark in us and that when a brother or sister is in trouble, it's not avoiding the storm, it's rallying to their aid and helping them. It's overcoming together. That the body of Christ is like no other organization on the face of the earth. We don't care. We just come to the place of the the damage of the devastation and we reach out and help brothers and sisters and that's how we get through it and that's there's there's a spark of god in us that can overcome any kind of tragedy and and the scripture says clearly that jesus if that spark has an encounter with the holy spirit it becomes ignited it becomes a flame from within in matthew uh, 3 verse 11 john the baptist was talking about jesus's ministry that was starting to unfold, and he said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 49, he said, I've come to send fire on the earth, and how I wish that it were already kindled, and he's referring to the fire, the what types of fire in the Bible is the is, the, is the, the influence and the manifestation and the move of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said, you live in a tragic circumstance, but you have the capacity to make it different. You want real joy and peace in your life? Make a decision this morning that you're going to do good. That you're just going to do good. Seek you first the righteousness of God and his kingdom. Just decide that you're going to just devote your life to doing good. And when you do that, you find that fire in you becomes ignited and it becomes, you know, I think we get, I think we get caught up in doing church. <coughs> I think we get caught up in doing stuff. But I think that once a Christian believer, in spite of the persecution that they're going through, as a matter of fact... It's even more intense. When you are personally going through persecution, if you decide, I'm going to do good. I'm suffering, but I'm going to do good and help others that are suffering. And I'm not going to think about myself. There's something that happens in your life, man. There is something that breaks off of you. There's something that you get to where you don't no longer concern about worldly success. What you're concerned about, there is you get addicted to doing good. Can I get a witness out of somebody? You get addicted out of helping people. My dad, when I was a kid growing up, when I was little, I remember, you know, and he, he was not a follower of Christ, but he came from an extremely poor back background. And there have been times in his life when he didn't have enough to eat, and he remembers people bringing them food. And so that became kind of a passion of his. And so he became very successful, self-made man, built several companies, was extremely successful. But I realized when I was a kid that he got his biggest kick out of helping people that needed help. He didn't talk about it. He didn't tell nobody. We had a scout, a little Scout International, four-wheel drive. I don't know if you everybody remember the little scout, but uh, he had one, and we played with it all the time. I mean, we drove around, and I was, I was not supposed to drive. I was like 12, but I drove it all over the, the neighborhood. And you know, I mean, you know, when I got my driver's license, I had 13 moving traffic violations. Whenever I went to take my test, the cop goes, how did you get 13 moving traffic violations? I said, well, most of them for driving too fast. And the speed, he didn't think that was very funny. But, but we would go. So we would have a snowstorm would come, and people would be stranded and trapped in their homes and couldn't get food and couldn't get whatever. And, and we used to have, we, we had just a kick. We'd do it together. I would get in the Jeep, and we would just drive around town. We'd find some guy, you know, elderly guy walking, trying to get to the store. He'd just pull up in that Jeep and say, get in. You know, it would scare him at first because we looked pretty, you know, just get in. Where are you going? i I got to get to the grocery store. Get in. So he would get in, and, man, we would just cut. We'd drive over everybody's yards and just, you know, just <laughs> everywhere, you know, go right to the, to the store and do a donut in the parking lot there and go in and get him some whatever he needed and take him. And I realized, and it, it made us both feel good, but it, I realized it had a real dramatic effect on him. And so, so there is value then in your life personally, for you just making a decision that you're going to do good. And you just want people to help people. It's how, this is the whole Christian idea, is that we're in this together, and we, together, together we stand, divided we fall. And that we have to help each other. And the people in Arkansas, and in Fairfield, Kentucky, and in Bowling Green, and in those towns are wiped out. I don't know if you've seen any shots of that. That tornado was on the ground for 200 miles. 200 miles. And it wiped out every community that it went through. They got nothing this morning. Joy to the world, the king is come. you know, they're not feeling not singing. But the Lord showed me, he said, when they see the brethren pouring out their love for them and helping them, it'll turn into one of the greatest Christmases they've ever experienced. It's not up to me, it's up to you. So, we're going to, this church is going to send an offering. We have a race of Hope coming. If you want to designate your Raise of Hope offering to go to there, uh, we're going to give to Samaritan's Purse, which is a great Christian ministry. And Samaritan's Purse doesn't come there, take a few pictures, raise a lot of money and leave. They stay till it's over. They're still in Lake Charles, Louisiana, helping them through the hurricanes. Their word is good. They get a lot done. And so, So we're going to pour our love out on them this Christmas and give them something to be joyful for because they see the brethren are there. When you need them, they're there. Last week we lit the candle of peace and uh, the angels make this declaration of peace to the shepherds. We talked about this in Luke chapter 2 and I'm not reading the scripture because it's the same scripture. I'm not doing a reading. It's the same one we used last week. I'm just trying to go to a New place in Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory in the highest, and on earth good peace, good will toward men. And she was told the angels were announcing the birth of Christ to the shepherds. But the peace on the earth does not mean an absence of conflict, and this has been one of the greatest misconceptions in the church of Jesus Christ as we know it. She wasn't, the angel wasn't talking about the word in the Hebrew that the angel used when they made, she made the declaration or he made the declaration was not, it was shalom. And shalom is not an absence of conflict. Shalom means personal, that, you, that you're doing well, that you are in good health and that you're prospering in the things that you do. And, you're, and your life is full of purpose and fullness and it's good. But you might be in the eye of a hurricane. See, it's not about you isolating you from the storms, it's about in the storms. You're still doing good. It doesn't matter what you go through in life, you're doing good. And you have a you have this, you have a peace in your heart because you know that you're good. Mean you're good. That's what the peace was. The peace was prosperity. In fact, in in, in Psalm chapter, Psalm 35, uh, verse 27, it says. <clears throat> Let the Lord be magnified, who hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. The word for prosperity is shalom. So in the Jewish tradition, when they say shalom, brother, what they mean to you is, man, go out there, do well, be in good health. Just, you know, it's more, it's not, but it's not an absence of conflict. Because Jesus says in, 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 in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, you know, we have to kind of reconcile this. Because in Isaiah 9, 6, this is talking about Uh, the scripture says for under us a child is born for under us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God everlasting father the prince of peace again here's the word shalom the prince of the shalom the prince that can give you that contentment inner contentment in the middle of the storm in Isaiah 9 6 it talks it talks about Jesus being the prince of peace but in Matthew chapter 10, 34, the Lord said himself, do not think that I come to bring you peace on earth, but I came not, not to send peace, but a sword. And the word there, the Greek word is irene. And it means like a absence of conflict. It means unity. I didn't come to unify anybody. I want you to get this in your head Quit trying to be like the world. I'm so sick of turning television on and seeing spike-haired preachers with earrings in their ear. I just want to go up there and say, come over here and let me shave your head. You look better as a monk than you look up there trying to look like the world. I have nothing against that either. If, you're, if your kids are in the world and that's their thing, I'm good with that. i got a young man here that works for me all the time that, at the church that's a Guatemalan sweet kid. Brother Clemente, and he, wears, he has an earring with a cross in it. That doesn't freak me out. But quit trying to look like the world and be the world. Be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Be so, be so different that people go, man, I know that guy ain't like us. That's what he said I came to do. I came to make you different. I came to separate you from them. Not to make you make you holier than now and make you, but to, you don't live the way they live, and they see that you don't live the way they live, and they want it. Man, I I deal with ministers all the time that have forgotten that they're not supposed to be of the world, but in the world, uh, not in the world, but not of the world. They're supposed to be different. They're supposed to quit worrying about whether what they teach is relevant or whether it's culturally acceptable or Whatever. It doesn't matter about that. He said, I didn't come to bring you that kind of peace. So if you want the shalom of God, you've got to submit to the sanctification. You've got to submit to the separation. To be sanctified means to be separate from. It means to be different than the world. So if you want the shalom that he came to bring us, you have to enter into that separation where you just decide you're going to live different than the world lives. Roger's been out in Las Vegas for three days. He's supposed to still be there. I texted him about something the other day, and I said, where are you at, man? He said, how's Vegas? He said, I'm headed to the airport. I said, wow, three days of Vegas is about all you can stand, ain't it? And he said, man, you're not kidding. I'm ready to get out of here. See, that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm to Vegas, too. We used to, Carol, I used to go to the rodeo every year when I was in the feed yard business. They gave us free trips. We would go out there. We were the only ones sober when we, when we left and sober when we got back. Hallelujah. But that's all right. We had as much fun as anybody. And we would go out there and see guys we hadn't seen in a long time, and that was all cool. But I remember one trip, we were going out there, and they said Vegas has become a family-friendly place. That was their deal. They were advertising that Vegas was a family-friendly place. You remember that? <coughs> Excuse me. So we get at the airport. We're headed to the hotel. We get in a <coughs> cab. We're riding behind another cab that has a billboard on the back, and I promise you, Vegas... Not, that was not family friendly and it was out there for everybody to see and I go well thank God they haven't completely changed you know I mean some things you, you, you just you wonder you know it's okay see it's okay what ticks me off though what ticks me off about Las Vegas is is they're better servants than we are that really makes me mad you know they build their whole whole economy on hospitality And on being good and being clean and keeping the facility and being good servants. You know, Christians ought to be able to smoke them at that. And we don't. So we need to learn a lesson there. But the point of the whole thing is is that that if you want to be who Christ has called you to be, you've got to allow him to separate you from the way the world does things and to make you completely different than they are. That's how you get the shalom of God. And the peace that he offers is unreasonable. It says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Man, go talk to hospice nurses. See, I think if you want to really get real and you want want to go where the pavement ends and the west begins, you need to go spiritually. You need to go into some hospice facilities and see people that are dying and the people that are taking care of them and ask them, just ask them, so what do you think? You think that guy's saved? Ask the nurse. Oh, yeah, he's saved. Well, how do you know he's saved? He's just got a piece. There's no, he's not afraid of death. You can tell. We can tell. Whenever we take care of someone who's in the last stages of this life, if they're not... Followers of Jesus, if they ain't got the shalom, or if here, how about this? If they started out following Jesus, but they decided they wanted the whole enchilada and started living for the world, and they strayed away from Jesus, those are the two. She said we can tell that there's something really, really wrong in their spiritual life because they they're in pain, they're in torture, they they thrash, they see things. We have to sedate them heavily to keep them, man. I'm just telling you, when my grandmother passed away, she was uh, 90, was she ninety-two? Ninety-five. When she passed away, she had been a Bible, she taught Sunday school for sixty-five years, and she was she was tough. I mean, she just like it was all it was all in with the Lord or nothing. You know, there was no compromise with her. And she wasn't afraid to be sanctified at all. And I remember the day she passed away, she was in hospice, and um, and and I just but the family was in the room there and uh just the lord just said get up and start to go pray over her so i just got up and started to pray over her and my cousin got up and started to read her favorite scripture which is uh matthew chapter 7 the narrow gate she was a narrow gate gal and she she liked to talk she liked that scripture you know there's only one way and it's a narrow way and it's a difficult way and a lot of fools are going in the other way and they think they've got you know so that was kind of her that was her personality and so she was reading that over her, and all of a sudden she just she was unconscious and all of a sudden, and she had never done no peep, no nothing out of her. I mean, she had never suffered, never struggled. And, and then all of a sudden, she just took her hand while I was praying for her, reached up and grabbed something. Well, I knew what it was. It was the Lord that had come to get her. And she breathed about two or three more breaths, and then she was gone. I had a peace. My cousin had a Peace. My, well, she had been kind of, kind of, she was a little freaked out. But, but the nurses, all the nurses go, Wow, man, that is really cool. Once in a while, once in a great while, we get to see someone, pray somebody across. It was really, that's what Jesus came to bring you. Is that hope and that peace, no matter what the circumstance is, that you're going to be okay. So the birth of Christ released great joy over the dominion of the earth. The angel said, "Don't be afraid," she told the shepherds. "For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. a manifestation of Christ released great joy on the earth. And we've talked about this recently, and I don't want to be redundant, but I want to remind you that joy is not necessarily laughter or jokes or mirth. In, in Psalm 16:11, it says, "In your presence is the fullness of joy. Where's the joy?" It's in its fullness, the joy. It's, see, you can get joy from your work, and you can get joy from your kids when they win the state championship. And you can get joy from this or joy from that. But that's a fleeting thing, man. You can get joy from winning the world's greatest horseman. Being ama- we'll all be joyful, and that's going to happen one day. But you know what happens about two weeks after that? Life. It's, it's fleeting. But there's one fullness of joy you get that no matter what circumstance you're in, you got joy when you're in the presence of God. The brethren in Kentucky and Arkansas, as they stand and look at their life, which is gone, their stuff is gone, their pictures are gone, their memorabilia is gone. They don't have a Social Security card no more. They don't have they don't have they don't have a Medicare card anymore. They can't get medicine. The pharmacy's blown. Think about that. Think about well, you went to bed and then you woke up. If you were still alive, everything in your life is gone, blown away. It's somewhere in Illinois. They don't know where it's at. It's, not, it's gone. Gone. Your checkbook. Think about that. Your checkbook's gone. Can't write a check nobody. Your wallet's gone because you laid that on the bed when you woke up. It's gone. You got no money. You got nothing. You got the clothes on your back and you got how in the world do they get joy? Enter into the presence right there. Enter into the presence of God right there. And say, Lord, you know I need you. But also believe you never leave me and forsake you. Don't blame the storm on him. He's not mad at anybody. He didn't send the storm. He said you live in a condition where storms occur all the time. How you get through it is with me and with each other. That's how you get through the storm. So the definition of joy is not mirth or laughter. The definition of joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My grandmother's laying there. She's dying. She don't care. She had, when she had her hip operated on, months before that, several months before that, they were wheeling her into the room, and I said, Mama, I called her, Mama, I said, Mama, you want me to pray for you? She said, she grabbed me by the collar. She was in the gurney. She grabbed me, she pulled me out close and said, yeah, I want you to pray for me, but don't you be praying for me to stay here if I ain't supposed to her. I'm ready to go home. Just pray that I don't get addicted to no drugs. I don't want no drugs. I'm not going to heaven as a drug addict. Hallelujah. Okay, Mama. So I prayed for an absence of pain, no pain. The nurse that worked in the nurses' station used, was going to this church at that time. She came to me one day. She was the head. She was the, the, the in charge of that shift. She came to me and she said, "You know, your grandmother had not had nothing but a Tylenol. She won't take nothing else. We've tried to give her hydrocodone, and she says she don't want it. So we've given her Tylenol, and she is she has absolutely has no pain." I said, "Thank you, Jesus. See, that's what she wanted." That's what she wanted. So she was at peace. So the day that she goes to be home, she's got joy. She's got peace. Her whole family's there. She can't communicate with them, but she knows they're there. It's the great send-off. Live your life like that. Man, if it ends tomorrow, it's going to be a great send-off. Amen? What do you got to worry about? What do you got to worry about? Well, why do we keep worrying? We need to stop worrying. That's the problem. Joy is a pervasive sense of well being. It don't matter what situation you're in. If your house just blew away, somehow you know God's going to bring you through it. Somehow you know it. So you just just continue to hang on to your joy. You don't let the devil steal it because it's your strength. dmi 8 10. Do not sorrow for joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The devil is constantly trying to steal your joy. He's constantly trying to steal your joy. He's trying to get you to worry about something that you can't fix or to try to get you to, 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 to make a molehill into a big mountain. If he can figure out a way to do that, he loves to do that. He's trying to get you to where you, your faith is shot and you're going, oh, this wouldn't happen to me if I had tithe like Brother Roger said to last week at church. Well, that could be right, though. <laughs> You know, what we take on all this stuff. Let me tell you what your mission is here on this earth. Here's your mission to love other people and love Jesus. Stick to that. Stick to that and see if things don't work better for you. Quit worrying about all that other stuff that you don't have any control over, anyhow. Amen. You don't have any control over. It. Your baby's going to be leaving your house one of these days. You can't stop it. So, might as well quit worrying about it, amen? Next time she comes back, she'll have a bunch of grandkids with her. Hallelujah. (laughs) That'll be awesome. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. We worry about things we have no control over all of the time, and it gets us off the track. And the devil can steal our strength. The birth of Christ provides us with great joy because we realize He's the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy. Man, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 is one of my favorite scriptures. We talked about this the other day. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there's not another like me. I am God, there's none like me. Declaring from the end, from the beginning, and from the ancient of times things that are not yet done. Check me out. Read the prophecies. Then go get your history books. Sit down. Study them together. See if I'm not in charge. You know what happens? You get joy because no matter how crazy this world is getting, God's in charge. And he has a plan. What are you worried about? You think God can't handle politicians? Oh, he's, he's body slamming politicians as we speak. Hallelujah. He can handle it all. And he has a great plan. If we just focus on following him, and we learn from Brother Monty, in the desperation, man, of losing a child, I can't imagine. Now, that's got to be the worst tragedy that a person can go through. And, and how Monty that day just struggling in the tack room, looked down, saw a rock, and remembered the scripture that said when he was crucified, even the rocks were rent. And he saw the rock with a big crack in it, and the Lord said, that's, that's a symbol of what I came to do, Monty, and that is to give you hope, peace, and joy in a very tough circumstance. And your daughter's with me, and you need to figure out a way to remember it. So pick that rock up and carry it in your pocket. And Monty's been through some tough stuff. He didn't tell you that when he got bucked, he got his pelvis separated. They had to fly a helicopter out there into ranch country and landed in the middle of nowhere, and get him to a hospital. They were afraid they were going to lose him. What did he do? He hung on to the rock. You need to hang on to the rock. Amen. He said, "You build your." house on a rock and when the storm comes you'll be okay. You build it on shifting sand like financial success or praises of the world or, or the approval of men and your house will never stand because the storm's coming everybody gets a storm what determines whether you make it or not is what you rock what your house is built on the foundation of your life we talked about the people. Jesus gave us access to the fullness by giving us access to the Lord himself to enter into his presence. The veil was ripped. The veil was ripped. And now, if you love Jesus, you can go in and talk to him anytime you need to talk to him. This morning in Arkansas and Kentucky, their brethren that have no reason for hope, peace, or joy because they appear to have lost everything but I'm telling you I believe that there are many of them that have if they're alive you know they 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 had the account of a lady that was working in a in a either an Amazon fulfillment center or a candle factory I can't remember but the whole huge building collapsed and she talked about seeing a light and she had to crawl over dead bodies of her friends to that light and she got out. The light drew her and it drew her out and she got to safety and they found her and then she could tell them where a lot of the people were that were trapped. How about the lady that was on Facebook? Did you see that? She was FaceTiming live who was trapped in a building, had debris and stuff on her and, it was, and they used that to find her and get her out of that. See man, I'm telling you, That's a storm, man. That's a real storm. And here's the thing. She was praising the Lord when she got out of there. She said, thank God the Lord brought me through. Now, what are you going to do the rest of your life? You're going to figure out a way to do good, right? When you've been saved from that kind of a calamity, you're going to figure out how to help others. So there's no place in the Bible that doesn't teach you teaches you that you escape the storms it just you come through them you come through them the foundation of your life has gotta be Jesus Christ it's gotta be his hope it's gotta be his peace it's gotta be his contentment that you feel no matter what's going on around you and listen man I've been in some tight spots I've been in some times when financially I didn't know if I was gonna make it I've been in times I've been in times when when I had just a terrible you know got uh, family members with huge health issues that And, and you know, I still face some of that. I don't want you to think I'm up here and never been through anything because I've been through plenty of stuff. But here's what I can tell you. The Lord brought me through all of it. He brought me through all of it. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful that he came to save me while I was yet a sinner and to die for me on a cross. He lived an infinite life, and so his death was an infinite death. It was enough to cover everybody's sin. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that I found my way to the cross. You know, this life is just about finding your way to Jesus, giving him your life, and letting him sanctify you and set you apart and use you to do good to help others. That's really the sum purpose of your existence on this planet. And so, our responsibility in the storms of life is just to help each other and to be there and to be sure that nobody, nobody forgets the hope, the peace, and the joy that Christ brought to us. That's what the Advent is all about. So I want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Arkansas and in, and in, in the other states. I think there were five states involved. I don't know how many states there were, but if you see the devastation, it's unbelievable, just unbelievable. I mean, t- entire town's wiped off the face of the earth. And that and that's and that's and that's terrible. But here's the thing, Jesus Christ is going to be glorified in this some way if you believe that. Say Amen. His people are going to rally, and this church is going to send an offering. And if you'd like to send an offering to your raise a hope and mark it for, I believe in Samaritan's purse. You you may know some. I believe that they're I believe they're absolutely responsible, and I know they spend every dime that you take in. They spend it on whatever cause is that they're in the midst of at that time. And so. Uh, that's where I want to send ours, but listen, maybe you have another one, but if you want to do a raise of hope offering for these people, you do whatever you want to, and there are needs in our community. I know that. I'm not trying to, I know there's plenty of needs around. See, that's the thing. There's always going to be needs. This is what Jesus, he came, part of his steel statement was he said, I came to, 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 to break the bonds of poverty off my people. And then he says, they asked him, and they said, in another place, he says, the poor you will have you always. Well, how does that work? If he came to eliminate poverty, how is it that the poor will always have? It's because not everybody's ever going to follow Jesus. Not everybody's going to enter into the shalom. A lot of people are going to reject it, amen? So what's Jesus saying? Do you know, understand the, the term Samaritan's Purse? Do you know who the Samaritans were? They were despised by the Jews. And Jesus used a parable that ticked the, it ticked the Pharisees off so bad they started planning his crucifixion. Elimination, when he said, he talked about the man who had been mugged and was laying on the side of the road, and then a priest came by, and he just stepped over him, and a Levi came by, and he went around him, but a Samaritan. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they were counterfeits. They were moved in by the Assyrians to occupy the northern ten tribes of Israel, and they tried to learn, you know, the Jewish kind of the Jewish tradition to appease the gods of the land. They didn't even know a bunch of pagans trying to fake it. The woman at the well was a Samaritan. She was shocked that Jesus Christ would stop to even speak to her. Stunned. And yet, in the story, a Samaritan stopped. And he bandaged up the man that was hurt. And he took him to the inn. And he said, this is the spirit of Spirit's first part. He said, his bill's on me. You take care of him. I'll pay his bill. Jesus said, and the big debate was, Jesus said that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, well, who's my neighbor exactly? Can you clarify that? Because there's some guys down in the street. I don't live close to them, and I don't like them. And he used this parable, and he said, so who was a f- neighbor? Who was a neighbor to the man who was hurt? Not the priest, not the Levite, the Samaritan, who you despise, did the the thing that God would ask him to do. So Samaritan's Purse is not about helping just the ones that are saved. It's not about helping just the ones that go to church. It's about helping everybody who's been devastated, and that's the Christian ethic. Amen? Help them all. Amen? So, in this season, and I want to challenge you to one other thing. Go, go turn the news on, look at the pictures, and then look at your house. And look how good you have it. Great job. You say you do like this because your boss is sitting right over here. Say, great job. Great job. Hallelujah. See, there was a chance for you to get a raise, and you blew it because I had to coax that out of you. I mean, I'm, we all got good. We got great jobs. We, got, we live in a great community. Man, we got a great church. Say, great church. Yeah, amen. Okay. We got look, we got so many things to be thankful for. Look around. You know, when I see <clears throat> I see all the things I need to do, all the chores I need to do and all this stuff. I'm thankful that my home is not at a trillion million pieces scattered all over Plains Avenue. And the stuff that I got a little dog, a little corgi dog about this big that's destroying things faster than I can buy them and bring them home. Hallelujah. But he's not blowing the whole house up. He is aggravating his owners pretty bad from time to time, but I had a telephone repairman come to my house to fix our, when the power went out, our power went out, Karen, your power go out. Our power went out, but it was a pretty localized thing. I don't think it was all over town. When they finally got it back on, well, I didn't have cable. I didn't have the essentials. I didn't have cable. I didn't have internet. I didn't have any of that. I got, I can't live without this stuff. (laughs) I came home and then I go to Plainview on a ministry deal, come back and my wife's been working all day. And she says, oh, by the way, honey, we don't have cable. Don't have I said, and you just now telling me this? We should have called the emergency number and got this fixed right away. Hallelujah. So anyway, the, the cable guy came yesterday to fix the stuff. And I was out here working. And so uh, she let him in. He had to go in and out and stuff. And so she left the screen door propped open. So I had my dog who, who, I, who I feed. Sometimes she doesn't eat all of her food. And it was just still on the back porch. And she was with me, and so she left the door open, and little, little Cooper, he ran out, and he goes, oh, my God, Santa Claus has come. And it's like, it's like this mound of dog food, and he's about this big. And, and so I said, well, how did everything go? She said, it went great, but there was, here's the problem. There was one little problem. Uh, Cooper got into Fancy's dog food, and here's the result. And he's passed out, and his belly's just like, <laughs> blow. I mean, he's... He's like passed out. I mean, like on some kind of a sugar high or something. I don't know. His belly was like, he's not this, he's just this tall. And when he he would walk, his belly would drag the ground. So, so she worried about him all that. She said, oh, he's going to, you know, I said, oh, he'll be fine, honey. He'll be fine. I really didn't know, but I thought I needed But here's the thing. Was that aggravating? Yeah. There's no reason to lose your joy. It was fun. He's cute, you know. He survived. Now he's back to eating everything in my office again, so he's feeling a lot better. The point of the matter is, I think we this Christmas, we need to think about the things that we have that God has given us that we need to really be thankful for. Amen. I'm thankful for West Texas Real Telephone and how they quickly restore your internet before the rodeo starts. That's very important. They got it done. So I want to pray. I want to pray that uh, just a spirit of joy would come on you and then indeed would pray about your giving. If you decide you want to, we're going to send some money to Samaritan's Purse. You decide that's where you want some years to go. That's on you. You just, you just, need, you just need to know that we're going to do that. And, and I believe that that's, it's going to go absolutely where it's needed. And so Franklin Graham was on television this morning and he was appealing and he says we need... And listen, if any of you not doing nothing want to volunteer, they need volunteers too. I mean... My God, you can't believe the magnitude. It's the biggest, biggest tornado disaster in the history of the United States, and it's our people. I, it shouldn't make any difference whose people it is, but it's 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 in the heart of the Bible Belt. Churches, you know, they had they, they talked to a couple of pastors. It's just like they need a lot of they need a lot of support. But what I want them to do is not lose their joy because it's their strength, and I want them to see the body of Christ rally around them. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I thank you and I praise you that this is a season of joy and that if we'll just focus on the big things that you have done, the important things, and if we'll remember that we're saved, glory to God, and in a dying world, that's an important deal and that we're living in a different covenant and we don't depend on the government, we depend on you and that you've always provided for us and that you may let us endure storms, but you bring us through them and we get on the other side and we're a little stronger We get on the other side, we're a little smarter. We get on the other side, our faith grows because you brought us through it. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name for all of the brethren that are struggling now in Kentucky and in Arkansas and the other states, wherever they are, small towns. It's our kind of people, Lord. It's our people. It's real people. And we just pray for them to be encouraged this morning, for them to remember that you're on the throne, that you died for them, and that with you all things are possible where there is no way you make a way and that you're going to help them through this and strengthen them and their faith is going to grow and that you're about joy and peace and hope and we just pray now that the God of hope may just shed hope abroad in their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit we thank you and we praise you and we're just so thankful for this season and the opportunity we have to give And to do good. Praise your holy name Lord. It's in Jesus name we pray. And everyone said. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.